Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 52 of Zion's Finest. This is Kenny Brown. In this episode, I'm joined by Lucas Davidson. Lucas Davidson is coming on the podcast to blow open our brains and talk about some amazing concepts in IE. He's going to talk about tempo. He's going to talk about material. He's going to talk about positioning. Primarily, the episode is going to revolve around his thoughts in terms of how to analyze games in order to assess advantage, figure out when you're behind, figure out what you need to do in order to get an advantage. Obviously, his concepts are meant to be, are not meant to be like monolithic. You're not supposed to take them and say, okay, here's the right way to think about it. But they're tools that you're going to use in order to assess games. And this is not just for beginning players. I, I think there's a lot of players like me who you might be experienced in skirmish, but you might lack, like I do, you lack the analytical rigor that enables you to say, okay, how do I feel about material? How do I feel about positioning? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just a great episode. I love talking with Lucas. I was able to talk with him a few times at Worlds. And man, the guy just knows exactly what he's talking about. It's really, really awesome. And this is going to be a very great podcast. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. First off, a few logistics things. We're going to be doing things a little bit differently here in the future. Instead of having um, immediately going into the episode, if there's any news or anything like that that I feel needs to be addressed, I'm going to do it here at the start of the episode. So right now, the things I want to emphasize is people should go to the Google form that I'm going to have in the show notes to fill out our survey. We're talking about ways that we can improve the podcast, and I would love to hear any suggestions that you have. Please join us on the Slack channel. Send an email to zionsfinestia at gmail.com. But anyway, enough rambling. Let's get to the episode and listen to the brilliance of Lucas Davidson. Hello, this is Kenny Brown. I am joined by Lucas Davidson. Hello. Lucas Davidson is here to break our brains again. As I said in the intro, I wanted to have Lucas back on because Lucas, his, episode, his previous episode has been by far one of the most popular episodes we've had on the podcast in terms of I got so much great feedback about it. I think one of the reasons why is because Lucas has got an incredibly strong understanding of the fundamentals of the, the game. He's not just good at the game, but he is good at the game and can explain to you aspects of the game in terms of like what it is that you need to do in order to to gain advantage now he might be humble and modest about it but that is just like the honest to goodness truth about why it is that he has been so incredibly successful with imperial assault so what i wanted to do was have him come onto the podcast in order to talk about some fundamental concepts in imperial assault the concepts are material position pace and tempo so this is going to be one of those strategy focused episodes um, that we that we've talked about and we're just going to let Lucas break open our brains, pour in the knowledge, and let's let's see where we go. Thank you very much for having me back. Um, you know, as Kenny said, we were going to talk about three things today. We're going to talk about material play. We're going to talk about positional play. And we're going to talk about um, pace and tempo. But why are we doing that? Why is this important? Um, I hope to, over the course of this, that we're going to try and answer one question in specific that I'm about to ask you. Um, and that question is, who do you shoot? Now, Kenny, when you answer this, um, the one restriction I want you to have is you can't say a deployment card. You can't say I'm going to shoot Han. You can't say I'm going to shoot IG. You can't say I'm going to go shoot that Imperial officer by the terminal. Um, what I want you to think about is it's the end of round one. You have your famous Dracada ginned up and ready to go. And your opponent has left you some options. Um, maybe you have a shot on their biggest gun on the table. Maybe you have a shot on... Maybe you have a fairly safe shot on something that's going to make some incremental difference in the game, but some, but a place where you could retreat Dracada nicely. Or maybe you have a shot on 
one of their models that is holding an objective. So off the top of your head, who do you want to shoot at the top of turn one? Um, top of turn one, I'm going to say my instinct is going to be to shoot the biggest gun on the other side. Okay, and what I think that shows... Um, what I think that shows immediately is like you have some some bias for material play, mm. right? You want to get their most useful piece off the table. Hmm. So so let's talk about that for a second. Like when I say material play, what am I talking about? I'm generally think of material as useful attacks that are left on the table, right? So um, even though an imperial officer may be a deployment, it's not super useful from a material standpoint. Mostly because he's not always threatening your material. Huh. That's a very good point. And, and sort of the question I want to pose here is, well, what if their material is worth less than Dracada, right? Yeah. Like, maybe my best piece of material is a uh, elite weekway pirate. Yes. Do you want to leave Dracada out in the open mm. to, to remove that pirate from the board? Most of the time, my answer is going to be no. So that kind of gets to, like, when should you play for material, right? Yes. Um, and there, there are sort of three times, I think, about when you should play for material. When you can trade up, right? Uh, so Dracada is very, like as a huge single-target uh, single damage attack and can splash a lot on people around it. So if you can trade, like, maybe you leave Dracada out in the open, but you get the majority of an IG. Yes. Or um, you get the, the majority of any of the big queen pieces or a huge chunk of a unit because they're all clumped together. Right? So that's one time I think you should really play for material is when you can get more value out of the attack than what you're leaving exposed. Let, let me ask one clarifying question about that, Lucas, because this is something that I think about all the time, and I don't think I... I think I think about it more intuitively rather than systematically. So you use IG as an example. Like, when you say, if I'm going to leave Dracada exposed, meaning that I have to be open to the fact that IG is going to kill them, kill Dracada at the start of the next round, for whatever reason... Doing a significant damage, do you mean like getting uh, IG to where it's only within one attack of being destroyed or taking away half its life, taking away a quarter of its life? I mean, like, you know, IG's worth 12 points. I, do I need to get uh, nine points worth of damage on Dracada, or on IG from Jakarta? Is that what you talk about when you say trading up? That's a good question. Um, in general, I actually even kind of like to not think about the the deployment or figure cost here so much. Okay. Uh, I, I think you, you made a good distinction of, let's say the upshot of at the, after two activations in round two. Okay. Is that your Dracada is off the board and their IG is off the board. Mm. Right, that would be the... So IG doesn't have a great way to, you know, scuttle away or, or do something neat. Yeah, um, okay. But that you are going to... When, when the dust settles, you may be up or down a, an activation in the turn order, but that... Their IG is gone, and your Dracada is gone. Okay. And I, think, I think that's a clear, uh, pretty clear example of a, of a quality trade-up for you. Okay, okay. I like um, it. I like it. The other, the other example might be is, say they have a big unit, like E-Rangers, right? Mm -hmm. If somehow you have two Dracada activations back-to-back, -back and that gets like five points of damage on two of the Rangers and kills one of them. Mm. Right, you, you've crippled the unit. Yeah, I guess it's not completely dead, but what is that, that one Ranger versus Dracada, I, th I would call that a trade-up, even though if you do, like, the figure cost, you'll have lost, they'll have lost eight points, and you'll have lost nine points. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Great point. I like that. So, it's, a lot of it is, you know, we, we've talked about, like, useful attacks on the table. Mm -hmm. uh, especially in that Ranger example, you're probably removing two useful attacks from the table. Mm. Or they're removing one. So, two other times, I think you should, like, play fairly aggressively for material. And we kind of, we kind of talked around one of them, is... 
when the deployment figure is about to be removed, right? If uh, if you have one or two life left on Dracada and there's no safe place for her to retreat to, yeah, try and go get her value or uh, try and go get Dracada's value's worth. And then the the final one is kind of the most obvious when it's the direct path to winning the game. Mm. You know, yeah, you absolutely. have. Uh, you got to kill Hera and R2, or Hera and a smuggler, to win the game. Yeah. Okay, let's go kill Hera and a smuggler. And since so much of the game is about, like, removing pieces from the board, it's kind of not intuitive to think about when you shouldn't play for material. Right? You want to go take their stuff away. Yeah. Um, so, reining that instinct in, especially for me, is a huge... It's something I'm always fighting. Like, I've joked before with the Imperialists that you push dudes forward and you roll dice. Yeah, exactly. Um... That's not always the, the best thing to do. Like, you shouldn't always be making those aggressive attacks. Absolutely. Another uh, way that I, think, that I think about this personally, and I am totally guilty of this, is I take attacks of opportunity, right? Like, well, I might, it might not be a great attack, but it's an attack of opportunity. So hold that thought. We are about okay. to get there. Okay, perfect. Um, right? Like, this actually gets us really, really nicely into when you shouldn't play for material. Yes. So that's like when your opponent is really forcing your target selection. Uh, when you have to leave someone mildly exposed to get a, you know, like a long range shot on Han by 3PO when they haven't played on the lamp. Yes, indeed. Or, or when, um, like when that's the part of the, the box that they're exposing. Or when you have um, like a shot into Nalhut, a shielded into the shield generators against an E-Riot that's sitting on a defense token. Yes. Right, that, that, that shot's not going to do, do a heck of a lot, and even if it does, okay, you're doing some damage to an E-Riot. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's more where that came from. Yes, indeed. Um, so that may not be a, like, when your opponent is really dictating who you can shoot, you know, there's a reason that they are presenting that target. Yes, indeed. Maybe you don't have another choice, but you should really think about, like, how aggressively you want to play that when your opponent set it up in a way where you only have one option. Okay. And also, like, when your attacks can be easily mitigated. You know, the, the On the Lamb was a great example. Yep. It's like, okay, you have to fish it out sometime, but you know, you know your opponent's waiting for you to roll around with your focused attack and play tools just for them to scuttle away and you've wasted a token and a card. Absolutely. And then... When the last time that I think you really shouldn't play for material, and kind of the most common mistake that I make in this all the time, is when it would leave you a little overexposed. Um, and this kind of can generally lead to a trade down. Like, maybe I can deliver two jets within two spaces of, of the target, and between those two attacks I can remove an E-Ranger. Yeah. Um, but then Han goes and he shoots one jet off the board, and then Han's end around shot happens and he shoots another jet off the board, and it's okay. Well, I I did what I wanted. I removed this one, hopefully focused elite ranger before he could do anything, but then I lost two jets for it. Yeah, that's a man. That's a great point. So when it would lead to a like a short term trade down, which is probably pretty easy to see if you sit down and think about it for a second. That's when you should probably rein uh, rein it in and don't go for that um, super aggressive kind of material play. Uh, naturally, there are some lists that I think of that are a lot better at playing for material than others. Okay. All right, and I don't really want to say like you know the list with these four, six to seven deployment cards is better, but in general, I think of like lists with a lot of guns on the table are better. Right? If I have seven meaningful shots. And if I think about the world champion list, it has like five and a half meaningful shots. If I trade gun for gun with you, 
uh, I'm going to end up with two guns left on the table, and you're going to end up with half a gun left on the table, or three guns and one and a half guns left on the table. Um, so, so things that can engage in that trade, and then when the attrition all dies out, they'll still have more meaningful shots left. I also think li lists that have a lot of hit points and defensive shenanigans are really good at this, uh, just because even if they leave themselves a little overexposed, which is something that I did with the the two E jets and E riot Vader list all the time. There's just a lot of ways to limit the damage and kind of brace for the counterattack. Let me uh, let me uh, just push a little bit, not not as a counterpoint, but just to kind of flesh this out because I think I would have the notion that IG lists love to play for material because they've got the biggest gun, right? Like besides Vader, they've got the biggest gun on the board. So can you just walk through that one more time? Like why it is that like an IG list in terms of like that number of guns is like a great example. Why it is that like IG might not necessarily want to always be playing for material. Mm, yeah. And I think that is, that's a good point. Um, but let's talk about it kind of in a vacuum. Okay. Perfect. Right. Um, we are going to, the, the IG list, I think, have has like five and a half guns, as I said, and just sort of going through it. Yeah. IG counts for two of them. Yep. He gets two shots. Yep. The two weakway pirates are two more. Yep. Hera's a gun. Yeah. Uh, or, oh, Greedo's a gun. Greedo's I'm sorry. a gun, yeah, and, definitely. And then I counted Hera as the half a gun. That's totally fine. Okay. Yeah, you could maybe add in another half with the with the little, with the the little big Jawa. Yeah, right. But you have to invest resources in order to get that big gun, right? It, yeah. Yep. So that's one set and then on another you might have um let's, let's think about non-ig scum actually for a second you're gonna have four guns with two sets of pirates uh you may have an onar you may have another um scum hero then you're probably gonna still have hera and the jawa in there for support purposes All right so you're you're at like seven and a half hmm. to eight guns depending and at this point if you trade like, if you just go down the list and say, I'm going to trade uh, my two weakway pirates for their two weakway pirates. Yep. Okay, now I'm going to trade my other two weakway pirates for their IG. Yep. Okay. All right, now it's starting to shake out where they have Greedo to my Greedo, and they have Hera to my Hera, and then I still have, like, a, an Onar left around. Yes. So it can be... I, I feel like lists that just have more attacks or are less support-heavy really want to play for... Uh, this kind of attrition or this kind of material more naturally. That's a great point. Where I think IG lists, and we'll get to this kind of in position, I feel like IG lists really like to play a very positional game. Yeah, okay. Um, because he can be so hard to pin down, and because he can he, he can reach out and touch you from uh, a huge variety of places. Yeah. All right, like, clearly his most efficient is within three spaces, but... You know, he shoots as well as a focused ranger. Or a little bit shorter than a focused ranger. No, a little bit longer than a focused ranger. Yeah. If you don't spend the accuracy, the search for accuracy. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of what I think about when I think about material play, right? You want to, um, you want to get into, uh, you want to get into the sort of like the melee or the gunfight very quickly. You want to start to set up trades. Um, if you're playing a type of list that is designed to trade, you don't even really have to be terribly careful about making certain the trades are always trading up. Yeah. Um, you can afford to lose one or two of them if your list is designed to lose one or two of them. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense. Cool. 
So, so, so that's where I think, like, w- when you said, like, you're going to round the corner with Tricata and shoot at their big and shoot at their biggest gun. Mm-hmm. That's why I think you have um, not a bias, but an inclination towards material trades, yeah. right? And that's that's kind of what you value. Yeah, absolutely. Well, on the other hand, if you'd said something like, uh, you know, I want to make certain that Tricata's a little safer, so I'm going to take the the shot that I can retreat back to a decent position from, or uh, like a hidey hole. That may show that you value positional play a little bit more. Of the three things, like of the three core concepts that we talk about, I think I am by far the weakest at positional play. Okay. Like, I do, I do wish we could get James on at some point in time. Or just, or just corner him and, and get him to, to write down his thoughts on this. Because um, James Hedgepath is, like, constantly beats me. Because of better positioning. Yeah, you, you um, and you. You've talked about this before. We will one of these yeah. days. We will berate him enough that he will have to join us. But peer pressure or bust. That's it. That's um, it. So, so, so when we talk about positional play, like what is it? Uh, this one's kind of the simplest to think about. It's where your dude is or dudette, where um, like where your figure actually is at the end of the day. Uh, but what are the goals? Like what marks? good positional play or what marks effective positional play versus just putting a dude somewhere. Yeah. I tend to think like good positional play is trying to do three things. It's rarely doing all three at once, but occasionally you strike a strike the perfect storm and can get all three things done. One, you're trying to set up a like a better attack for later. Right? If you were gonna take the best attack, you would do exactly what you said out of the gate. Right, you'd shoot at the you'd shoot at their biggest thing. Mm-hmm. You'd do the most material damage you could. Yep. You're trying to limit the amount of material that an opponent can remove. So it's kind of instead of thinking materially like I'm going to remove as much of my opponent's material, you're flipping that and saying I'm going to limit the amount of material that the opponent can remove and really trying to dictate their choices. And finally, you're, you're trying to score some objective points. If you can do that with where your dude is, that's you're doing well. Indeed. There's a neat little corner on what I actually think of as the, the I guess, both sides of Uscrew, really, where you can kind of do all three things on the stand-by-a-crate-and-get-two-points map. There are the far corner crates still inside both of what I think of as, like, the the hallways before the door. Okay. So the, the one over the bar yes. for the non-pillar side. Yes. And the one just under the reflecting pool for the pillar side. Yes. Yes, I'm lo- um, looking at those. Yep. So, like, you can, one, set up for a decent attack later there. Two, you can limit the amount of, uh, of material that an opponent can remove because it, it's really hard to get line of sight to those areas. And you can score some points by being adjacent to one of those boxes. So that's, like, one of the, one of the scenarios that you can do both under certain... or all three under certain conditions. Um, as the game develops and more and more doors open, that, that kind of dissolves. But at the end of round one, that's kind of a neat place. Yeah. I steal everything from games I played when I was little, right? Yeah. In, in further proof that I, I stopped thinking when I was about twelve. <laughs> and the games I played when I was when I was younger were uh, were chess poorly, Magic slightly better, and um, and and Texas Hold'em slightly better than that. Okay. So I, I, cr- I crib a lot of these ideas from those previous games because that's what I was taught. And I was remembering when I was thinking about this, um, like a, a chess quote, I couldn't find. I could find the quote, but I couldn't find like a reliable attribution about this, or about or to the quote. And it's um, to move one of your pieces that's in the worst plight, unless you can satisfy yourself that you derive an immediate advantage by an attack. So the big difference between chess and IA is IA is a much much more aggressive game. Yes. Um, you're setting up to remove material much more quickly. 
you're not building these these like giant support structures for the trade. Yes. Like you can be in in some chess openings. Um, but I think that rule is still really good, right? Like check the second part first. Do you have an immediate advantage by taking the attack by taking that biggest shot or playing for material? Uh, if no, then you should probably find whichever one of your positions is weakest and do what you can to improve it. Okay. What is that? What does that look like in terms of concrete player? Maybe you can address it, or maybe you'll address oh. this later. So sure, like, no, no, no. Uh, that's I. Is, is it? I would. I'll just say, like, in terms of illustration, do you mean obviously we want to make sure that we've got people? You know, you want people to be safely guarded in terms of lines of sight. You don't want to give away easy shots. But like, what is an example of someone where you say this figure is in trouble, right? Like it's threatened or something like that, and. I need, you know, I, I need I need to ameliorate the condition in which it, I find it. Yeah, it could be, like, we look at that first one and say, like, I don't have great, I don't have a great shot. And I have, you know, two weak ways kind of floating around. Or I have some rangers that are, uh, that could be vulnerable. I find this a lot, especially on the courier droid mission in Uskru. Okay. Um, and occasionally in some of the Nalhuda missions... That the best play sometimes there is just fall back. Like, fall back to the box, fall back to the deployment zone. Maybe you take a shot on the way back with one or two of them. Maybe you don't have those, but just get your guys into a much more defensible location where the opponent is really going to have to come to you Okay. if you can afford that. Where they're going to have to leave themselves overexposed to even get decent shots. Is that concrete enough? or that makes, that makes total sense. I think the good example in terms of, like, the fallback. Right, like, yep. like that isn't time where you're saying you're set, you might like. I think the problem why people like might kick against that is they're like, but I'm giving up attacks, right? Like if I do this, I'm losing future attacks, right? Like this figure could have threatened something and now it's not. But like the the point is okay. The the flip to that is the figure would have never gotten the future attack. There you go. That's exactly right. That's so exactly you 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 take your best attack with something else on the board. Uh, they retaliate, and you see this all the time. You see this every game, right? You you take your best attack, and the opponent retaliates by removing or trying to remove your next best attack, which they can get to. Like, you activate Han to remove something. They activate their biggest thing to try and remove your Drakata. You know, is that, is that kind of trade-off towards the unactivated thing? Where mm. if you had moved the other to safety first... And it comes back around to their turn, and they might not have a like a decent shot to take, hmm. or a terribly productive thing to do with their activation. Okay, makes total sense. So, so when shouldn't you play for position? Because I think you brought up like uh, the great counterpoint to this is you're oftentimes you're losing attacks. Yes, uh, and that's the first one. Like when you'd be too conservative, or when it would restrict you from making good material trades. If there's a way that you can like clearly to you, you evaluate the board state and see like hey there's a way to trade up even though i'm almost certain to lose either the piece i just activated with or another deployment okay like you go ahead and trade up right that's part of the game we we whittle down to just a few pieces at the end game almost every time anyway and the other time it can be like really disadvantageous to play for position especially in that fallback example is when your opponent would score a load of objective points like, this was especially deadly on Shielded and Nalhuda, yes. or the, um, the Sit on the Boxes one that was on Jabba's Palace, uh, or even on the Sit on the Boxes one that's on Uskru. 
right? If you if you fall back a lot and let your opponent immediately take eight points of objectives, that's probably counterproductive. Absolutely. And then I think like some of the traits of lists that like to play for position, lists with a ton of good long ranged attacks, right? It's it's a lot easier to set up a a positional advantage when I can shoot you from, you know, one to ten away than necessarily with a, uh, like an elite jet trooper who has to be two away. So that limits your powerful positions to six squares away. Anything that can gain value by waiting, because in a lot of times playing for a positional advantage is almost a waiting move. Mm. Most of the time it's support heavy lists that gain value by waiting. Anything with access to the rebel care package variants and, and kind of self-explanatorily lists that gain an advantage based on uh, proximity, uh, proximity or adjacency to something. Boxes. Right. If you can, yeah. If you can fall back to a box, or like, or, or even a mini box, something with Hera or Onar. Right. There's still an advantage to be gained by getting in the proximity where that ability can be used. Absolutely. Who? And now the. That's kind of all I have on positional play or how I think about it. I, I want to just. I, I want to just make one clarifying point, just based on what you what you said. So it sounds like. When you talk about positional play, mostly what we're talking about is giving up board control, right? Like f using, what's the word? Safeguarding material and ceding control of the board in order to, you know, and you, you've talked about it. Like what you're avoiding is like you obviously don't want to do it when you're being too conservative in order to fail to make these good material trades or like when you're giving up a ton of objective points. But what, we're, what, what you're talking about when you say position, positioning play is, I'm going to move this weak way back because the four points, and I know you don't, you know, you're not, we're not thinking about this in terms strictly of points, but like the, the beneficial attack that this figure is going to give me is worth more, obviously, than losing it without having, you know, gotten value out of the attack, but also is worth giving up the threat of the attack from that unit like from from a more aggressive position than what you're going to be moving it back to is that right is that a good way to sum that he would, yes with one caveat okay caveat what happens a lot of times when you fall back is that your opponent comes forward which can be really really good yes so you're not always ceding board control if your opponent immediately like takes the position you just had because then you're probably about to blast the heck out of them so if they aggressively move to occupy the space or occupy the area that you were just in, they may be kind of fallen into a trap. Okay. Like in, in, in order to pursue you or in order to take advantage of that vacuum, they may be letting themselves get out of position. Good point. So it's something to, something to watch out for. Again, of the three things that we talk about today, this is what I feel I am by far the worst at. Yeah. I like to go forward, I like to trade pieces, and I like to get objectives. This this more this more thinky stuff is can get tricky in round uh, in round seven or so. <laughs> That's exactly it. On hour on hour ten. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the final thing that uh, that I think about, and and this is going to get this can get a little not controversial. Uh, I'm going to say some things which are probably going to annoy some sets of the community. Okay. Um, and this is on pace and tempo. And what pace and tempo? What, what pace is to me, and I like to think of this as pace, although a lot of people call it as tempo. The reason I like to think about it as pace is because uh, just of really semantics. Tempo means something very specific in chess, mm. and it doesn't really mean 
like who's on track to win the game faster. What is what which is, is what tempo in uh, is it like actual speed of play? Is that what you're talking? No, tempo tempo in chess is a move. Like so you think of it as a unit of measurement, right? I can be up a tempo or down a tempo. That means in setting up or in getting to some position that you would be a move ahead of me. Oh, you would interesting. be up a tempo. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. And because we don't have that same kind of dynamic, right? The there's the meaning doesn't translate terribly well. Okay. Um, but what I think of when I think of pace is who is on track to reach 40 first, right? Who's on track to, to win the game? And a lot of times this translates to who's ahead. Yeah. Or who's ahead right now. Uh, and a lot of, uh, most of the time I think about this in objective play because someone who's played a very objective live map aggressively and for the objectives probably at the end of round one is ahead on points. Um, the trade for that is they may be down in material or overexposed. Yes. So when, when should you play for pace? Uh, the, the simplest one is when it's safe, right? When you can go sit on an objective and you're not about to get shot off the board. That's, that's just free money. Yeah. The next one is when the activation will gain more points than its cost. You see this all the time with an Imperial officer or a rebel, or a rebel smuggler. Like, who cares if it's going to get shot off the board? It's going to go score four points at the end of the round. Yes, absolutely. Um, touchdown. When the game is winding down... Right, you'll see a lot of games start off to be very material-focused and then sort of in the back side of uh, round three, both players will start really focusing on scoring scoring the objectives to, to push them over the edge. And being up for or down for there can make a ton of difference. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and now the two things that may, like when, when you should play for pace. And these, these may be the two things that, that might annoy some people. Um, you should play for pace, so you should play to be up when you know your opponent will play slowly, whether this is intentional or otherwise. Okay. Right? Um, if you're only going to get to the back end of round two, and you're fairly, like, you know this, you need to be up at the end of round two. Even if you're down on material for what would be a longer game, or even if you're down on uh, positioning for going into a future round. Hmm. Won't matter. You're not getting out of round two. Around three. Um, the flip of that is also true. If you notice in your tournament play, all of your games get called for time somewhere in round two or round three, you better be up by that point or you're going to be losing an awful lot of games. Yeah, that's a good point. So whether you play slowly, intentionally or not, you need to pay a lot of attention to pace. Hmm. So that's kind of the... There's a double-edged sword there. So that's where, that's where pace can get incredibly important. Because the way you play a game that you think is going to go four rounds is much, much different than the way you play a game that you think is going to go two rounds. Absolutely. If you're just starting to... Like, if you're just getting into Imperial Assault and you're just starting to play, um, like, Kit Knights or a store championship, ignore the last five minutes. Sure, absolutely. Right? Like, you're, you're there to learn, you're there to have fun, um, I, and I really hope you don't have to deal with slow play. Yes. Uh, again, attentional or not. I would also put one little caveat, not a caveat, a addendum on that. I feel like it is incredibly important for, I will say, especially with new players, is to, it is, it is very difficult to understand the, what is the word? Like the, the subtle, the subtle texture of like what's going on, right? Like, especially if you have not played other 
miniatures games, war games, or like chess. Like, I've never played chess, right? Or, I mean, I've played it. I have a loose understanding of it. But I don't really know what's going on with chess. So, Imperial Assault, besides X-Wing, was my first serious competitive skirmish game. Okay? So, there is a lot of, like, fine texture to, like, a competitive skirmish game that just has continued to completely go over my head. Okay? Now, because of that, I think there are times where I'm actually a really, really quick player. Like, I play really, really fast. But that's just because, like, that is just my personality. Like, I'm just going to play fast. Yep. I will th- I will think about it, obviously. Like, it's not like I'm not thinking about it. But my personality is, like, I don't want to, like, sit there and stew. It's like, you know, is this the right choice? Okay. I also hate the thought of, like, me making, you know, a game go long. Okay. But I would say that for new players, you should have no worries about playing a little bit slow in order to get an understanding of the intricacies that are going on. Right. And, yes. I, and I think most, most players, most like experienced players would have no problem giving you that, like giving you that kind of time. Like I was listening to the fully armed and operational guys and Andrew has, he's talked about this a few times where I think he's a little bit of a quicker player and he's talked about experiencing when people play a little bit slow and even when it causes him to be in a disadvantage in terms of, you know, like we're talking about this pacing example, and I, I, I think you're absolutely 100% right, but Andrew has, like, purposefully allowed himself to, like, take the disadvantage as opposed to, like, pushing the pace because, you know, for, for this entirely, not aesthetic, but, like, communi- community perspective. However, on the other side, I would say that I feel like there is... I feel like that with someone who is an experienced player, if they their the pace of their play is slow, what everything that Lucas has said, he's you know that is just absolutely spot on the way to approach in terms of dealing with it. Like it's not about like it's not about uh, what's we're trying to get in your opponent's head or anything like that. It's just like taking advantage of the situation that they have presented in terms of like how you can turn their play style into your advantage. Okay, that was the that's the end of my rant. There you go. No, I completely agree with with everything you said. I want to double down on the, if you are just coming into the game, or if you're really just coming into any kind of competitive gaming, mm-hmm. don't worry about it. Yeah. You'll get you'll get faster. Things will become second nature. Don't worry about asking questions. Have fun, Ab- most of all. Absolutely. If you notice that you, uh, if you notice that you are a more methodical player, that's generally okay. Like, that's, that's generally fine. Yeah. If you notice that your opponent early on is a more methodical player. Maybe make a couple small adjustments to your game plan. Mm. Um, you don't want to get caught off guard by it. Great point. So, great point. Great. Point. So, so get, getting back to pace overall, like when should you? We got, we talked we talked about a lot of reasons. A lot of times you should play for pace. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when shouldn't you play for pace? Like being ahead is good, right? Yes. So why wouldn't I always want to be ahead? Uh, one when the the map doesn't allow it. Now, this is, like, a super obvious one. You can't aggressively pursue objectives in the Uscrew droid mission. Yep. <laughs> Step one, score points on objectives. Well, I can't do that. Okay. The most common time I see people play for pace, maybe when they shouldn't have, is when it leaves you overexposed. Okay. Right, it just turns into, okay, you score four points on objectives and I've scored four points on material by removing the the pirate or whatever you had sit down. Uh, I've, re- I've removed the one useful gun that you put on that objective. Even though the score is the same, it's four to four, uh, I have a material advantage. Mm. So, yeah, be careful about not to leave yourself too, too out in the wind. 
And then you shouldn't plan to pay to play for pace early in the round sometimes or late in the round others. Okay. Now let me give some more concrete examples around those. You should not plan to pay to play for pace. You shouldn't plan to plan to pay tongue twister. <laughs> um, you shouldn't plan to go for objectives. There we go. Late in the round on generally on missions that have the archetype of go grab a thing and take it somewhere or just go grab a thing and score points. Now Hutta Raining Freight, the pick up the box mission on Moss Eisley back alleys are the two that are in rotation right now. Right? If you if you plan to wait around till the end of the round to go collect the four boxes that you and your opponent dumped down, uh, you're probably not gonna have any boxes. Yeah. The flip side of that is true on missions that um, go stand by a thing is the the core concept of the objectives, right? You don't really want to, because almost all the time, the stashes, the crates, the terminals, whatever you need to go stand by is out in the open. Generally doing so early in the, la- early in the round leaves you well overexposed. So there's some timing based on sort of the pattern that the objectives falls that you need to be conscious of. And then the kind of lists that play pace well. Lists with extra bodies, right? Yeah. If you can have... You, you need a body to go to go grab a thing or go stand by a thing. The Rebels have smugglers that are great at this. Uh, I wish hired guns were better at this. Um, strangely enough, Greedo makes a fantastic mm. person for this because it's easy to get his points back. He moves like a million miles a turn. <laughs> yes, and does. if you shoot him on the table, he shoots you right back. Yes. So... With all um, with his focused hunter cards, yeah, good. it's uh, he's so good. He's um, so good. <laughs> he and he's a. Uh, if I was thinking about this, I I might have gone back through and said like, hey, how can you use Greedo in each one of these three <laughs> topics, right? Because he's a great material piece. You can do some really cool positioning things with him. That's a great to get point. around his advantages, and he's a, he plays for the objectives. He plays for pace really really well. Absolutely. Um, he actually plays pa- plays for pace. Uh, in another way, too, of even if you've gone and overexposed him for an objective, okay, you may be able to get your points back on the parting shot. Mm. So not only have you got the objective, you have made an equal material trait as well. Yeah. So he's uh, he bends the bends the equation a little bit. Yeah, it's true. Um, Greedo is awesome, as they say. Yeah. He's really good. And uh, and the Empire typically will have a lot of extra bodies floating around or a lot of extra tough bodies. Absolutely. So they, um, I feel like I won, in this last regional season, I feel like I won the majority of my games based on more aggressive um, objective play. Like actually getting Vader in there and hitting with a stick was kind of a bonus. But we had, we had uh, six really live scenarios for a while. Yeah, I want to uh, very much second that in terms of your your play, just because not like I I don't know if I did have seen you play Vader, but I've heard so many accounts of you know your playing of Vader that I I think that it is very important to like highlight that point right that like Vader hitting people with a stick is not the biggest part of that list, but it's like you said originally. In like your last episode, it's the double jets, and then the other things that you are bringing, especially to put pressure in terms of exactly like with what you're talking about here, in terms of like mm-hmm. maintaining the pace of the game, doing the objectives, like all of these things. And Vader's big stick is just a sweet bonus. Yeah, he kind of makes up in that list for bad positional play, mm. because opponents generally want to shoot him. Yes, 
or leave him entirely alone. Yes. And if you want to shoot him, I have, like, you're already shooting a target that has extra defensive shenanigans. Yep. So kind of like mission accomplished of the positional play, and all I've done is push dudes forward. Mm-hmm. The other kind of lists that pay, that switching back to pace, the other kind of lists that I find play pace really well, or at least have an advantage, is those that have a, like an alternative scoring mechanism. Okay. Something like uh, Jabba is probably the most powerful, although he's fallen out of favor a bit, mm-hmm. and I think for good reason. Um, Black Market can be a really a really powerful scoring mechanism, especially late in close games, as well as uh, Diplomatic Mission. If you get four points off of Diplomatic Mission because you're never shooting with Gideon, yep. that's about the same as being next to one of these crates for a turn. Great point. So I think that's the other kind of list that plays pace hmm. well. Uh, and that's that's it. That's what I got on these three. Man, we have really covered some like somewhat intensive ground, but would you mind just kind of giving like a general sum in terms of like discussing material, position, pace, tempo, like what is, how, how, let me think about how I want to phrase this question because I do not want to like force you to synthesize 40, 40 minutes of conversation into a two minute statement. What is it that you think, uh, let me, how do I want to phrase this in terms of lists? Cause that's probably the easiest way to say it. Cause my, what I want to ask is the question I want to ask is Lucas, what's the most important thing to focus on in terms of you know, material, position, pace, tempo. Oh, no, no, no that's, that's a great question. That's a great question. This is really nice. It gets us back down to the the very start of the episode. And, and I asked you, who do you shoot? So, so that's the, like, that's the litmus test, right, of making the right valuation there. So, so you, you ask, like, what's the most important part? And unsatisfyingly, the answer is going to be, like, it, it depends. Yes, indeed. But... You're going to find situations all the time where you have to make you have to make a decision about how you want to play um, in the game, like how, how you want to play this activation tactically. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find situations outside the game, like when you're building your list, when you're preparing your command deck, or when you're evaluating the scenarios and the maps that you're going to see, how you want to play it strategically. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we are in an environment right now that really values strong positional play. Mm. I think there are really interesting positions to be, like, to set up and figure out on all three maps currently in rotation. And the, uh, they've slowed the pace of the game down. You had uh, a super live mission in, in Jabba's Very much. by standing near the crates. And you had a, a middle-of-the-road live mission in Pick Up the Crates, mm-hmm. um, especially at the end game. And before that, you had a super live mission on Anchorhead of Talk to the Patrons, and then a mission that became very live in the end game in uh, Pick Up the Crates and run them, run them in for 10 points. Yes, indeed. So we've, we've transitioned to uh, a little bit slower pace, and we have transitioned to a little bit uh, longer map. So positional play becomes much more important as pace slows down and material is not as readily traded. Mm. The most powerful tool that FFG has in changing, I think, the meta of the game isn't like releasing new cards or figures. It's changing the maps in rotation. And those, more than anything else, when you start to think about what's valuable and what's what's powerful, uh, 
I'll just start by looking at the maps. Yeah. And seeing, like, am I going to get shots? Are we going to start to make the material trade early in round one? Middle of round one? Round two? Like, when is that going to start to happen? Where are my hidey holes in the maps? How, how valuable is it? Something like Moss Eisley, like, is still a fairly lethal map. There's not a lot of places to hide. No. But there are a few super valuable ones. Yep. Um, I think Jake's podcast just did a great job of of going through that a day or two ago. Yep. Um, On the, the Twin Troopers podcast with Eric and Jake. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So I would say for the for the current tournament environment, really look at pos- really look at positional play. Great tools for this. The the Twitch stream, right? Yeah. Um, if you can't get reps in yourself, go watch. Um, Go watch some of the recorded and see, see like where people set up their box or where people, if they're playing a more aggressive list, see how they try and avoid shots early in the rounds on, on these three maps. And then think about when, when it's the end of round one or the start of round two or whenever the material trade is going gonna, is gonna to start happening. What you want to do with your list. Yeah. Do you want to remove that biggest gun? Do you want to maybe take a less than optimal shot but have a fairly safe bit of material? Or do you want to just go get objective points because the scenario is super live? And I think that's all I got uh, for real this time. Good, good. I, I want to. So you you did sum this. You did sum this up. But I think that the important thing to emphasize is like the last thing you were talking about in terms of the list that you are playing. I, I the reason why I think these three concepts and how Lucas has talked about them is so amazing is because what it gives you is the conceptual tools that you need to have in order to say, okay, I'm on Moss Eisley. I'm again. I'm on Moss Eisley. I am have got two um, regular rebel smugglers, and I am against Darth Vader. Okay, so there's a lot of things happening, like in terms of like a lot of factors are going into how this game is going to play. Vader's going to be able to get into my grill really, really quickly, and there's not a ton of places to hide. Right? He can play a very, uh, very aggressive, very aggressive game and start working to like you know, take your material off the board quickly. But you've got this countervailing advantage, right, in terms of, like, the ability to put a lot of objective pressure on the board. And so what – But and the reason why I think this is so important is because I used to think that the answer with Vader was never attack Vader, right, because by the time and, – and the reason I, I used to think this is because um, one of our players, one of our local players, Matt, is really, 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 really good. He said, you know, his point was, by the time you have invested all of your resources into killing Vader, you know, he was just thinking about this and just like along this this certain dimension, not to say this is the only dimension, but by the time you've put all of your resources into killing Vader, now you've got jets like coming down, like coming right up into your grill and you don't have the material, right? Like, or the resources with which to deal with them. And it's just kind of, you know, so, so you just ignore Vader and kill the jets. That tended to be the wisdom. However, I have realized more than anything else, this is incredibly match up and map dependent, right? And mission dependent specifically. There might not be a realistically a way for you to count to 40 on certain lists without going through Vader, right? And you need to be able to, I think, you need to be able to think like, can I do that? Is that something that my list is going to be able to do? And if you find yourself like to say, I, ha- I have neither the ability to trade for material, to play a strong positional game, right? Because like that's Han Rangers. Han Rangers, like what they can do against Vader and why, one reason they're so good against Vader is because they can play such a great positional game against him. And then when the time comes for them to make the good material trades, they can make them all day. 
right? Like, because they've ginned up a little bit. Exactly. And, right? They, they're ginned up, and, I mean, they can kill Vader in, in maybe not one E-Riot, or uh, E-Ranger activation, but, like, an E-Ranger and Han, right? Like, with the right cards, and they can kill Vader. And so, you, uh, the, the whole point is, is, like, what you do is you take these concepts, and you try and break them down into, like, what your list does, and then say, okay, well, what am I looking at? Now, how can I, like, use these concepts in order to, like, just conceptualize what it is that I need to do in order to win these games? Yeah, exactly. You should you should almost always be asking yourself, how am I going to win this game? If, if I'm not going to kill Vader, I probably need to either, you know, play pace and be up when time expires. Okay. Or I need to score 13 points on the objectives. Those are your two outs. That's it. That's exactly it. Oh, man. I, lo- I just love that kind of precise clarity, <laughs> Lucas. That's awesome. 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 Well, we want to thank Lucas for coming on. I I feel like we need to do this more frequently, Lucas, especially when Tyrants comes out. Because once Tyrants comes out, I think we're going to have a little bit more of a... The, the hope, and hope springs eternal in the human breast, as Pope said. But the hope is is that Force, force users are going to get some kind of a bonus with Lothal. And, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, holding bated breath or anything like that, but... So we've been playing... We've been playing with some of the... Some of the things that we've seen spoiled, and we've been making some guesses uh-huh. about uh, maybe some conversions from like campaign to skirmish. Yeah, on on a few things. Out of the gate, I've um, sp- speaking of force users, I really like Conan's defensive ability. The the reroll. Yeah, mm. that is uh, that that's super juicy. Um, I'm not certain about how he fits into a list. Yeah. I played a bit. I played a Rangers list that had Zeb and Tress in it. Okay. And again, we're you know we're kind of playing off the wall stuff against off the wall stuff. Yeah. I liked Zeb. I uh, the more I played Tress, the more she impressed me. Really? Yeah. So I think there's. I'm not certain she's gonna be. Making, you can't see it, but I'm making air quotes right now because the concept is a little ludicrous. I'm not certain she's going to be tournament viable, but uh, like, she does some really interesting things. She really values focus. She really values power tokens. Speed 5 in kind of a slow a slow time in the game, or at least a, a, a game when most things have speed 4. And you will see more speed three things than speed five. Yeah, that's or great about point. the same because, like, for every Greedo, you have an R two. Yeah, that's true. Um, and Palp and the ATDP. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not sold on the Death Troopers. Really? I'm now. I'm not. I need. Uh, we're, we're, there's too much speculation on them. Yeah. Like, okay. That's I, I'm, I'm holding out. I'm holding out hope, but I'm not sold on either the E or the R version of them. And I don't think I've really played with. The, let's see, we've only had one thing spoiled for Scum, right? Uh, I think, the uh, no, it's only been Hondo, and it's just been his campaign. Yeah. It hasn't even been his skirmish card. Yep, yep, yeah. And that, that's, again, like we like we tried to fill in the blanks on a few things to to make it fit, but I don't I don't think I've put him in a list yet. So, yeah, I, I'm excited about it. That's interesting. I'm excited about all the stuff we haven't seen. Um, for the for the sake of the Empire, I am, I am hopeful for, for Thrawn and the Death Troopers. But the what I have on the table right now for like if, if Nova was tomorrow, yeah, um, is a is a double rangers build something very similar to what I played at Nova a year ago. Really? Yeah. 
Hmm. Well, I might, I might, uh, we might need to talk about that sometime because I think that is, that's a really, really interesting choice. Uh, I think I'm just more, I think I'm more comfortable with them. Okay. Than they necessarily are great. Sure. But it's, uh, I, I find it's a super consistent build. Really? Hmm. That's really, really interesting. I, I would like to pick your brain. Maybe, maybe this will be, this will be a future, um, next time we can, I, I want, what I want to talk to you about is specifically, you know, now that we've had this awesome strategy discussion, how it is that you handle the particular problems that you are confronted with. And I think like a, a, a Rangers list is really interesting because I wouldn't think there's like any list that you've got a strong advantage against. Right. Maybe, and maybe you do, and I just don't, I don't know exactly what that list is, um, or you, obviously, I'm, I've got zero experience with it, but I'm also would not be, I would not think that, like, there's a ton of lists that it's going to have an awful time against, and maybe that's not true, but I'd really like to, like, get your no, opinion, uh, opinion you, on matchups. You, you're exactly correct. Okay. Right, it's just, it's, um, I don't have any matchups that are 100% in the bag. Hmm. I don't have any matchups that... I feel I have a disadvantage in. Interesting, interesting. So, but yeah, that'll be for another. That'll be for another day. That's it. That's it. It is getting. It is getting late on the eastern coast. So we will let Lucas go. We want to thank you, Lucas, for coming on and blowing our brains open again. Thank you again for having me. This is always a blast. Yeah, we, we love having you. We want to thank everybody for listening. Again, I'm going to include a link to the Google form in the show notes. It would mean a lot to me if everyone would go on to the Google form. Just leave any feedback that you've got. I, I ask just like some pretty basic questions, um, that just ways that we're looking to improve the podcast. And I would love any feedback. In addition, please support us on Patreon. We have got, there's a lot of things going on at the Patreon right now, but the biggest thing is we've got alt arts that we have been working on drumming up. We're currently doing a poll in terms of deciding what the next alt art is going to be. And it's a very, a very close horse race between elite jet troopers and Greedo. So, we're gonna see. We're gonna see where that goes. But that's something that's available to uh, patrons of Zion's Finest, and we're also going to be developing these sweet, 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 sweet damage tokens that I designed, and they are very, very beautiful. So we want to encourage everyone to support us. But most importantly, join us on the Slack channel. Send an email to zionsfinestia at gmail.com. We would love to have you. Thank you again, Lucas, for coming on. Thank you very much. Have a good one.